0: Welcome to the Spatial Reality Podcast, your resource for authentic conversations about spatial computing technologies. I'm Sean Higgins, your host. Every few weeks, I'll interview an expert to learn how this technology is changing a huge variety of fields and industries and what we can do to prepare for what's next. Today's guest, Dr. Nadine Alameh, is mostly known as the world's cheerleader for geospatial. From MIT to NASA, and now as the CEO of the Open Geospatial Consortium, She's all about helping others derive value from geospatial in all sorts of domains. Most recently, she's focused on expanding the reach of geospatial into digital twins, climate resilience technology, and yes, even the metaverse. She's passionate about not reinventing the wheel and building on each other's capabilities, which explains her passion for standards and interoperability in geospatial and beyond. Hi, welcome, and let's dive in. I like to start all these interviews the same way. What does the term spatial computing mean to you?
1: So you're starting with the most difficult question <laughs> first, and I'm I'm saying this because recently I have been thinking about what is the difference between geospatial and spatial. And just as an anecdote, I went recently to a spatial data science event where um, they didn't know that there was a geospatial, like you said earlier, a geospatial community or geospatial industry or geospatial body of knowledge, right? And then you spend time with these people and all of a sudden, guys, we're talking about the same thing. So in many ways, I think, so spatial computing to me is everything we've been doing with this data that we've had for all these years that we call geospatial data that I call any data because everything now is geospatial to the point that now we're calling it location, right? But then the computing part of it is what we can do to it and do it efficiently and quickly to get analysis or applications or visualization or demos or anything you want. So from processing to visualization to I think everything. That's a horrible answer, but that's how I feel.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I get it. It seems like a distinction people sometimes draw is that on one hand, you have location data, and then on the other hand, you have geometry. But in talking to you, it seems like these are continuous, essentially. You might think of them as opposite ends of a a spectrum, but it's all spatial data of one kind or another.
1: Once said, I think, And mostly, I say it from my perspective because, you know, I'm running the Open Geospatial Consortium. My perspective is, if we look at it exactly as you said, a spectrum, so that we don't fragment the expertise. Oh, there are people that are experts in location over here on the right, and people experts on geospatial over here on the left, and these guys are doing spatial computing in the middle. And... We all then reinvent the wheel over and over again for no reason, whatever. So I like that spectrum, like you mentioned, because then it makes sure we're actually connected.
0: Yeah. So before we get too deep into that, what is the Open Geospatial Consortium for people who don't know about it? What does it do? What problems was it created to solve? I assume you have a pretty good elevator pitch for it by now.
1: I'll try. It changes a lot, but that's life, I think. So to me, first of all, the Open Geospatial Consortium is, as the name implies, a consortium. So we're a global membership organization, not-for-profit, of course. And so we have about 580 member organizations. And we come together because we're obsessed with one thing. And that thing is to make any data that has geospatial in it, that has location in it, To make it fair and by fair we mean to make it findable to make it accessible to make it interoperable and to make it reusable and why do we do that it's because one example disaster after disaster flooding if you watch the news oh we didn't close the dam on time or we didn't evacuate the people on time or we didn't know where the flood is gonna hit or when it's gonna hit etc etc can essentially all of that is because the data, you can't find it when you need it, which is when you need to save lives. And then when you find it, it's so hard to get, it's not accessible. And even when you access it, one data set never contains everything you need. You have to integrate. So that integration is hard because things are not interoperable and it's not reusable because we do it again and again. So that's what OGC is all about. So these member organizations from government, from industry, from academia, truly wanting to solve these very complex problems by making the data there.
0: I've also, in interviews that I've read with you, you've talked about changing the focus of the industry from the technology itself or the standards to problem solving, the why of geospatial data. Could you talk a little bit about what you mean by that?
1: Yes, because... It's coming out of frustration, right? One frustration is when I look at Wikipedia, it's a definition that hasn't been updated. It says, OGC is a standards development organization for the processing of geospatial blah, 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 blah. And you probably lost me at the first three words because it says standards, standards, standards. So in my experience, I have learned nobody cares. We come together, we talk to each other. Because we have a problem to solve, I can't put this data together. My crusher doesn't work with different types of data packages and so on. And when you bring all the experts together, then they say, "Oh, we need to fill those gaps. How do we fill those gaps? Standards, as practices, sharing open source code, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So it becomes to me, why is We're trying to solve some problems, infrastructure, transportation, energy. There's a whole list of problems. And it becomes the how is, yeah, let's get together. We're a consortium. We get together, collective problem solving. And then the what becomes the standard. So it's the total opposite.
0: Right, taking it from a problem solving angle rather than a standard first angle is a way to to get people on board and to show them why they should care one of the things I wanted to ask is like, how do you reach out to these non-member organizations who maybe haven't thought about geospatial data in this context? How do you convince businesses or industries that might not have thought much about geospatial data in the past that it's important to what they're doing?
1: I think it's getting easier and easier because you show them, right? That's the beauty of having an organization that's been around for almost 30 years. There's There are a lot of examples of where This consortium has helped, whether, again, we go back for disasters or for science or for government or for industry. So uh, I'll give you an example because it's one that makes my day, I think, every day when you talk to startups, for example. So we're trying to encourage the startups. And for startups, the value proposition becomes starting. And it's an overwhelming world of data and of processes and of opportunities just come to the community that can actually help you accelerate getting you to market, right? And this is by getting you in the group, so you find your next partner, investor, or customer, but also seeing what other people are doing, the best practices, and also saying by adopting the standards, even though you have no clue who I am, right? I'm a startup. You don't know my name, you know, I have nothing, right? I'm starting, but I'm following international standards that are followed by Google and Microsoft and AWS and NASA, the European Space Agency, Canada, etc., etc. et cetera. People will trust you. So that value proposition. So you see they come then to learn, to connect, and to accelerate, one of my favorite words. Same thing for the government side. You keep hearing about, shrinking budgets so how do you deal with shrinking budgets if we make this data findable accessible interoperable usable more people can get it without bothering you it scales very quickly and then the impact then people start to use it and then you can relate back the amazing oi from exposing a lot of of your data via standards and you find your partners and you hook up with the latest and latest academics who are as smart. So you can see all of that. I was on a call earlier where the insurance um, industry popped up as well. And same thing. They're doing a lot of this for disasters at the end of the day. So inviting them to join the Open Geospatial Consortium makes sense because they come and we've got the Earth Observation Exploitation, we've got the AI, and you can't take it from there. So almost it's getting easier because the problems are common, are the same. It's not like you have a problem that's different. We're talking about these sort of global or national problems these days, and it's easier to bring people together.
0: That makes a lot of sense. One one thing I'm curious about, you know, we talked earlier about how you could think of geometric data as being at one end of the spectrum and location data. How do you speak to companies that might be more on the geometry end of the spectrum? What do you see the value of geospatial data in that sort of context?
1: So I think th- this is the link also right to the metaverse. Uh, in the summer of 2022, I went to see Graph, the event, they had it in Vancouver. It was my first time, and obviously it was my first time because I was the only one dressed in a suit. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> the community, but that's the idea. And I talked about the our work, right, with uh, 3D tiling, streaming of 3D data. I talked about APIs, again, for geo-volumes, we call them, right? So it's like a volume, a geometric, right, volume. And I talked about... Our models. So we have models of the world for cities and buildings and underground and water and soil and pipeline, et etc. et cetera. And the most amazing thing is at the end, you get these questions like, wow, ah, did you, when you showed New York, right, flying through, this was New York. Yes, it was New York. And that's, I think, what Geospatial brings. It wasn't a Pixar drawing or anything like that. It was, these are the real, what do you say, geometries and how they relate to each other. So all the topology of it and all they place on earth, right? So if you put a fire hydrant, you actually know where you're putting a fire hydrant. And it's so real, I think, when we talk about geometries and about the features that are associated with it, that we call it, we don't call it, everybody calls it digital twins at scale. Right And to the point where actually I can control from my digital twin the real world and vice versa because they're twins, right? So I can control the traffic lights from my digital twin because I've seen dynamics in the real world. And so I think, and I think that's, again, when you talk about the power, I think this is the time for geospatial because you can bring all this geekiness <laughs> to a whole new can be energy, right? To actually use it, we call it. I like this; it's not my term. I heard it. The real metaverse, because it's real. When we give you cities, or when we give you pipes, or pins, or whatever, it's the real metaverse, and I like that.
0: So, it sounds like if you think of a a digital twin, it's being something localized that closes it off, right? Because of course these, if you're talking about facilities or buildings, they of course interact with the world outside of the building itself. And so putting it in the context of geospatial data opens that up and it's, it sounds like it makes for a more complete digital twin.
1: Yes, it definitely does. And at the same time, it tells you the challenge that we're having because I think all these data or these systems they were siloed, right? So if your energy, if your transportation, or if your air quality, or air quality, when you're talking about this digital twin, say of a place, right? Like a city or a town, all of a sudden you have to connect these silos. And we go back to this mission of making it findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable. That's another great example. So I like, again, not my thing, but I heard it the other day, somebody saying we should stop talking about breaking those silos. Nobody wants to break anything. We still live in our departments and our divisions and so on. We need to connect, you know, all these silos. And that's, I think, what Digital Twin are, again, pushing us to do more connection.
0: Yeah. I've heard you talk in the past about not only... Working from problems back to the standards necessary to solve those problems, but lowering the technological barriers to people using geospatial data. Could you talk a bit about how you're doing that and why that might be interesting to people who haven't historically used geospatial data?
1: When I look at the geospatial community, uh, one of the issues with it is that it's we call it it's been in its own bubble right we've all been together we know how to deal with this we all realize geospatial data is complex data because it's space and time and it's changing and you have to keep track of we're scaling it with the cloud that's great we have visualization tools that's great we have processing that's all great but it's still complex just because it's a lot of it it's big data right So what I'm trying to do is to say, if we really want to get the full potential, right, of everything we're talking about here and solve the problems faster and grow the community at the same time, we have to break that bubble. So instead of saying the geospatial people can help you with disasters or help you with climate, our mission should be, we can help anybody use their data to solve their problem. And the only way you can do that at scale, at the scale of the organizations involved and the problems that we're seeing is what you said, lowering the barrier. So lowering the barrier for using that data. The OGC APIs are a great example. So we went from web services and SOAP and XML and sort of rigid connections to now the open APIs. So the OGC APIs are open APIs And it's as simple as API map, API feature, API tile. So you don't have to be an expert of an expert. You don't have to have a package, a geospatial package to use the data. You can use it with any other types. If you're a developer not knowing what you're actually doing, right, but you can incorporate these elements, this is like lowering the barriers big time because more developers can do this in an interoperable open way, right? Without anybody having to tell them so, because we've provided the standards and all the resources for that. And the other amazing example to me, I think it's gonna be huge in the next few years, is all this cloud native stuff, right? So if we're putting all our data on the cloud, so we're working on these cloud native geospatial standards. So. Once again, you're not a geospatial person, but you want to use NASA's data or Maxar or planet data or any data, right? Again, you don't need to to be an expert. This data will be, you will have natively in it everything that you need to be able to process it on the cloud, to combine it with other pieces on the cloud. So I don't have to search for it, download it, open a specific Packets, you know, closets, or you know So that's when we say native, like cloud native is huge. Again, this is talking lowering the barriers, make it easier for not just you and me and the experts, any anybody.
0: So, are you able to talk about some of the new kinds of members that are coming into the OGC? You've been with the organization for a few years at this point. I assume it's bearing fruit in terms of getting kinds of members in there that you would never have seen as part of the OGC before?
1: Uh, yes, I always, I always love to talk about our members because they're amazing, right? This is part of the best part of the job. I think I love to see like the progression of OGC over the years. So if, when we started with the, you call them the traditional geospatial, right? Esri and Hexagon and Trimble and Bentley, right? That's what I call the traditional geospatial. And then over time, how that expanded. So I'm talking industry here, between parentheses. (laughs) We used to have like third of our members, government, third industry, third academia, until about three years ago where industry shut up. And now they're like 45% of our membership because of everything we're talking about, actually. So, when I look at the industry then, so you went from traditional, then you saw um, Google and AWS and Apple and Microsoft, you know, those guys coming in, right? The Maxar, the planet, so you see the space community also coming in. And then, I don't know if it's because it's the sexy thing to do or what? But then you see the .ai companies coming in. So all the names is do, 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 do .ai, right? doai right? Anno.ai, Ecopia.ai. There's so many. If you look on the website and you see them. And then those startups, When again, when I say nobody has heard of, which is amazing because talk about lowering the barriers, right? They can now actually come in and engage and get what they need because... They have the resources, right, in this community. And then when I talk about the new members, Render.ai joined last week. Same thing. This is very metaverse-driven. Epic Games joining, very metaverse-driven. Duality.ai, NVIDIA joined recently. So you can also see, actually, all of a sudden now when I'm talking to you, coming in from a strong metaverse right here and then just to finish this when I look at the pattern where the traditionally it used to be very North America focused and European focused and now we got for example our first member from Saudi Arabia we got our first member from South Africa we're getting more members from Asia Pacific from Singapore from Australia and that dynamic is also very interesting
0: When you talk about these .ai companies using geospatial data in a more metaverse direction, what do you mean by that? What are they doing with the data? Because it's one thing to talk about the real metaverse. It's quite another to think how broadly that term might apply and what exactly it means, what people are going to do with it.
1: And I think it's a range, right? And I think we're all figuring that out together. So what I'm seeing, for example, a lot of the, how do you get the traditional geospatial data into the gaming engine? So what Cesium, for example, is doing and that whole connection to the Unreal Engine, right? So you've got these companies coming in and taking advantage of these connections to do, we saw a company last week taking NASA Wildfire data into the Unreal Engine using that Cesium connection, for example. Same thing with the Unity. So you see, there's that part of it, right? Essentially, it's a whole new way of representing and seeing and interacting with the data, right, in new environments for new and old purposes. I see a lot when we talk about the .ai, the feature extraction from space, for example. That's a big thing because we're talking about the real metaverse. You're going to need quick, efficient, trusted feature extraction, as in, oh, I need the buildings, or I need the damage from a war, right? Or I need the roads, or the counting the cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? All of that, even flying traffic, and of course, vegetation patterns. Yeah, you but know, there are so many of these I think, variations in the dot AI companies. And I think last but not least, what I'm seeing is just again, talking about lowering the barrier. So presages is another example where they're trying to make it easier for people to create digital twins. So you have your data and you have other people's data. This is an environment where you can bring all this data and actually get a digital twin for a place. I honestly think think we're all trying to figure it out, right? Modeling and simulation environments, right? So I think that's a big focus as well. So all of this is coming together. And that's why I keep saying, I feel sometimes my job is is just, I'm just watching a reality TV show, right? Because all these people are doing this. And, you know, what's going to happen in five years? Nobody knows. What's going to happen in 50 years? Nobody knows. But we're all... We're all on this amazing journey together.
0: Yeah. It's funny you say who knows what's going to happen in five years, because one of the last things I wanted to ask you, of course, is what what's your, in your wildest imagination, where does this lead? How does this develop over the next five years? I think maybe nobody can say what's going to happen, but if anybody could, you would certainly be on that list. So what do you think?
1: So... Again, you can look at it from many perspectives. One perspective is, and I know I've said disasters many times, but they are, in your face, they are increasing in frequency and magnitude, all of that, big driving for the acceleration. So in five years, maybe we stop this. Oh, my God, there's a flood. Who has the data? Where can I get the data? Who can process it? There's actually a workflow, right, that's all probably cloud native because that's where things are going and you have we're even talking about the edge processing on the satellite so even the satellite triggers tells you hey i see this pattern for a landslide do something so that's so we accelerate all of that and becomes a workflow that we all use instead of a workflow right now we're all trying to create and reproduce and and it's all based on open standards so you can mix and match. I'm not saying get your data from a specific entity, right? No, it's all these workflows where you can use what you need because you solve, right? You click the button and literally, you click the button, it instantiates a first response, uh, a first responder application right there with the data that you need for the area that you need, and then you tell people, oh, these people need medicine, these need to evacuate, et cetera, et cetera, right? So click of a button, disaster app, that's in five years. It's not even crazy. I think that's definitely going to happen, right? We have partners like AWS and all the space providers and all these AI companies. And most importantly, we have our strategic members from USGS and FGDC and Natural Resources Canada and ESA and NASA and Department of Homeland Security, UK Ordinary Survey, Hydrographic Office, I can list them all, but they want this, right? So I think five years, you'll get a one-click first responder you know, application. The other thing I think is in five years, we have, and I know it's all the talk, especially this week, we'll have the ability to create this global map Right, this global updated map of our world, taking bits and pieces again because everything is fair. But the pieces are findable, they're accessible, they're interoperable. Not saying it's free, but you can't put it together. Business model is something different, totally different conversation. So you have that. You have we talked about this vision of right now you have one object many representations, many IDs, many formats. In five years, we're working on it. We call it right now the uh, the fairy, <laughs> right? So that's this. It's, we'll see about the branding part. But this essentially, it's the server that links definitions of an object, regardless of where they are, but it tells you it's one object. And again, so critical for the metaverse. You have one place where you can say, This is my building. And I get pieces of it from the building management, pieces of it from the geospatial people, pieces of it from the architects. I don't know, right? (laughs) Comes together. That's definitely not a dream. And last but not least is we stop talking about all these things. And, you know, everybody's using the APIs without even thinking about it. And I would like also to see in five years, because it's a huge gap, especially when I look at my kids, the computer science and the software development people, they don't know that we exist. And so something about our APIs and cloud native standards and our models to actually be taught with the rest of software development, because otherwise they come out and I see this all the time. They come out and start to create their own mapping toolkits. It's like, no, no, please no. Right. It's like all these things. We have routing APIs, we have processing it, just use it. So it's just really making, what do they say, ubiquitous, right? It's many things, but we have a lot of work to do. That's all I keep saying. There's a lot of work to do. I told them my favorite word last year was accelerate. We have to do this to accelerate. And this year, my favorite word is invest, because I suddenly, or not suddenly, I over time realized that when you talk about the vision, five years, not 50, five years, like you asked, it's not going to happen if, if organizations, governments don't invest in making it happen. Just counting on the goodwill of people and the pace of companies and our own humanity, is no, you have to invest if you want to get to that vision.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Check the episode notes for links to the books, reports, articles, and other media we discussed today. You can find more episodes of Spatial Reality in your usual podcast spots. Leave us a review if you enjoyed today's interview. And so you know, I'm always looking for more experts to talk to, so hit me up on LinkedIn if there's anybody you'd love to hear from. See you next episode.